Hey guys, welcome to our panel on kaiju versus giant robots and whether or not they're taking over Hollywood too late. They've taken over Hollywood. We're just not living in the rubble yet. Uh, I'm Jonathan London, the host of Geekscape, and I assemble this panel at Kamikaze. It's our second year because I'm fascinated with all things giant monsters and giant robots. And I invite people who are even more fascinated with these things to be a part of this panel with me. Uh, to my left, Tommy Yoon. He works at uh, Harmony Gold, which is in charge of Robotech. I think he's got a few things to say about uh, giant robots. How long have you been at Harmony Gold working on Robotech? Uh, wow, has it already been that long? About 14 years. 14 years. Yeah. And what other giant robots you guys, are you guys a, a part of? Uh, we, I, I mean, if you uh, break down Robotech into component series, uh, the uh, giant robot series that we've distributed include uh, Macross, Southern Cross, and Mosbita, and uh, those were part of the 80s uh, golden age of trans giant transforming robot shows, uh, which is, I guess, the foundation of a lot of what you see today. Wow. Um, all right, George, you're going to have to give an intro. George Kersick, uh you've actually created some uh, giant robot cartoons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I created a, a show called Megas XLR, which was kind awesome. of a, a love letter to what you just talked about, right? That kid just <laughs> lost his mind. <laughs> that guy just lost his mind. I saw that. Um, and to kind of speak to what you were saying, people who are excited about giant robots and love giant robots, that would be me. <laughs> so much so that I, I'm with my friends and we made a small fan film and we showed it to Cartoon Network and then we, they gave us a series, which was kind of stupid of them. But That's pretty but yeah, awesome. I really dig giant robots and kaiju. It does work. Uh, FJ, yeah. what is your background? I'm, I'm just the super fan who got to be here. And I, I, uh, I grew up with everything they're talking about, but um, I'm also a writer and producer and I wrote the... Um, American adaptation of Shotaro Ishimori Cyborg 009, which came out here last year. Last year? Last year. So I, I deal with all that stuff. That's my my interest. Do they have any copies of that down at the Yeah, it's uh, down at the Boom Booth. Yeah. Boom Booth. Um, it's a beautiful, I should have brought it. I would have yeah. shown it off. I, every year I say that and I forget it. But um, I come from that whole working with the Ishimori Library, which has Kamen Rider and Kikaider and all that stuff. I, I have a childhood love of it that I've been lucky to turn into sort of a professional thing as well. Did, Did you, you guys... Did the Ender Bay yeah. Corps schedule Common Rider figure? Yes, actually. They're, How awesome They're supposed figure? to send it to me. I don't have it yet. I have. Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> we you can break into his house and We get were it. late coming up here because I kept stopping to look at all different... I almost bought a Macross uh, Roy Foker jacket uh -huh. that they had. Do you, have you seen this? No. Uh, the bomber jacket? Yeah. Yeah. You probably have like eight of them. They're selling them for like 500 bucks and there was like a moment where it was way too small for you. It, it yeah. looked, so that was the only excuse that my wife won't stab me for spending $500 on that jacket. But, uh, you know, that's what we do. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. I, do you have I the motorcycle helmet? Yes, I have the motorcycle helmet and the belt. The belt. Uh, the, the, the belt that's they did. They did uh, uh, Macross motorcycle helmets, real working motorcycle helmets. They did Rick Hunter, they did Fokker, they did um, Max. Like, you got to get the Fokker because it, it says UN Spacey on it. it has the skull. And That's what the jacket had. The jacket had the UN Spacey on the back. Had all these instructions, all this great yellow, and it had the Roy Foker badge on it. And now the more I talk about it, I'm like, Yeah, you should go I'll get be, it. I'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs> How many of them were there? I don't know, but the, the guy was like, This is the last one. I've never seen this. Before. Oh, we got to go get it. 
and then sell it back to you for more. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what we do. You said it was 500, 700? 500 bucks. No, it's 15 now. No, <laughs> yeah, I think it's 15 now. Capitalism uh, at work. Yeah, we're going to do that. That's what happened uh, at Comic-Con. Like, uh, there would be exclusives. And because I'm an exhibitor, I do the sneaky thing. I'm so sorry to you guys. Uh, where, with the doors open, I'm already there, like, in line, like, surprise. And I, so I buy some exclusives. And then I'm walking on the floor, and I see that other exhibitors who have sales space and are selling memorabilia, they've already ratcheted that stuff up. It's like, why are you waiting in line when you can pay five times the amount for this stuff? Yeah. You know. Um, so Robert, Robert Burnett was not on the uh, panel last year uh, because he's a working professional in the film and entertainment field. Uh, how do we know you, and what is your love and background of all things giant robots and monsters? Well, I, I grew up. Here's a. I made a movie called Free Enterprise with William Shatner, and I've been doing the Star Trek The Next Generation Blu-ray documentaries, but I've worked on a show called Femme Fatales. I produced a horror movie called Hills Run Red. But when I was a kid, my parents would go to Hawaii every year, and they would bring oh. me back these Bandai toys that were all in Japanese, and I didn't know what the hell they were. And most of the time, they were vehicles. And there was I remember one time they brought me back this pink girl with a heart-shaped face. And you know she was clearly early. Common Rider early, all that, and I didn't know what they were. And I, we're talking about, I was like five, six, so it's early 70s, and then my parents, the first Shogun Warriors came out. Hmm. And the, the thing about the Bandai toys was they, they would come with these little unfoldable catalogs of all the other toys that were, and I'm like, it, it was like giving me crack cocaine, <laughs> but nowhere to get any more. Right. Like, it was just like, I'm looking at these things, and I, I would point to them, and there was no, I'm like, can't. My parents like, well, we go to this store called Hakabundus, and it was in this strip mall in Maui, and they have these things there. And once a year, I would get one. Oh no! Yeah, that's right. And I didn't know. <laughs> and what you they were like, and he still wanted them up until your like, your twenties like, and yeah, stuff. And he was like, you're in college well, now. now. We're not getting you anymore. Now, between the the Yamato uh, Valkyries, the Bandai Macross Frontier Valkyries, the Yamato put out an SDF one that's one three hundred thirty five hundred one three hundred one three thousand five hundred scale. I mean, the toys they make now, the Bandai Solo Chagokin toys, and I'm a Gundam perfect grade model fanatic. So if my whole thing is, it's Space Battleship Yamato, it's Gundam, it's Macross, and those are the things that I love. The, and all the Solo Chagokin Japanese super robots from the 70s. Those are the things that I fanatically collect. Uh, my, there are tons of them. You two mm -hmm. need to talk. Hobby, Hobby yeah. Link Japan, you ever go to Hobby Link Japan? Sure. Yeah. Worst website in the world. You can pre-order everything there. They just take money out of your bank account when you don't expect it, and a huge box shows up. It's the greatest thing in the world. Who am I kidding? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think if, if it wasn't like a once-a-year thing, if you'd gotten all these amazing toys and things at once, that it wouldn't have lasted that long? Do you think you would've, it would have been a, maybe a phase? No, no, because you know what? There was something, I think there was something primal. Like, when you're a kid, you love things that are giant. Why do you, dinosaurs weren't just cool because they were dinosaurs. They were cool because they were giant. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and Godzilla is the biggest giant dinosaur of all. And, you know, right there. Godzilla is the biggest. He should hang you out. You know what? Put, put the mask you on. You are the biggest out. man in this room. Just <laughs> <laughs> come, come back, Godzilla. How much come you come up here? Guys, remember last year last we had a year giant. We, bought a Pacific Rim we had a giant yeah, yeah. gypsy danger up yeah. here. This we, kid uh, had made uh, a giant uh, gypsy danger outfit, and it was amazing. And when I was a kid, Godzilla vs. Monster Zero was yeah. my favorite. It still is my favorite because it's got, like, the Forbidden Planet matte paintings, you know, Planet X. When Ghidra's flying, it's awesome. And, and yeah, I, I, if they make Pacific Rim 2, space kaijus from yes. another planet have to invade the Earth 
they, they, these weak guys that got Sick killed guns. in the first movie. No, no, no. There's a planet that's even worse. There's Planet Ten in the Pacific Rim universe that's got to bring. Well, aren't they Eva. making a second they and are. a third one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. They're like animated. Are, yeah. Has anybody seen any Pacific Rim merchandise here? Are you Where? sure? Are you sure that's an okay idea? What? But t-shirts, anything like that? And a guy across from me, I'm you at booth 1110, a guy across from me has prints, like blueprints of like the Russian vehicle uh, in nice. like all this different stuff I that he's selling. I want the team t-shirts. Um, I mean, every time I go to a convention, FJ is just like, hey, give me some Pacific Rim stuff. Did give me some insider stuff on. Did you knife head? I, uh, well, if I did, I wouldn't be telling FJ. It's awesome. I would be uh, rocking it up. I'd be like, hey, check out this eBay Look link, this. FJ. Wow. It's Look at this. Bring it Look how amazing this kid is. And you know what? Best parents oh. ever, I think. <laughs> Come on. We've got a kid dresses Godzilla. That's amazing. It's the greatest thing ever. Now, is he Godzilla or is he Godzuki? No, he's Godzilla. He's Godzilla. Look at that. Oh, Godzuki yeah. has wings. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think that you can do Godzuki without the, the, the cartoon like kid eyes. That's you know? Now, now, how long did that costume take to make? A couple weeks. Wow. What did you make it out of? So you guys bought it, out, bought it a normal Halloween Godzilla outfit and modified it to make it more to the updated Godzilla movie version. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Godzilla movie? Godzilla? Um, all of them. He said all of them. <laughs> Good answer. Is Godzilla your favorite uh, kaiju? <laughs> <laughs> I basically saw the new movie this year. Uh-huh. He wanted to stop on all He said get all of them. Wow. Now, what do, you, what do you guys think as hardcore Godzilla fans? Uh, the new Godzilla movie, I enjoyed it. I know that there was some uh, disturbance in the force. I just said to him coming up here, I hope they don't ask about Godzilla. Well, I mean, we got to talk about Godzilla because you're on a panel about <laughs> giant monsters. Uh, I liked the Godzilla movie, but obviously a lot of people had um, qualms with it. I think my homeboy down there in the Godzilla suit liked it. But that's uh, the good that part. The like Godzilla movie you ever saw? Have you seen any Godzilla before the new Godzilla movie that came out? What if he only likes the Matthew Broderick one? Does anyone? Yeah. Yeah. But that's good if, like, the new movie opens his mind to... Because I tried to show my ne- nine-year-old nephew Godzilla. He was not having any of it. Really? I was trying to explain how awesome it was. He wanted to see Jurassic Park again. It's like trying to show somebody a, a Ray Harryhausen movie. You know, kids today. So I'm glad you like Godzilla movies because they're all awesome. Let's give it up for young Godzilla. And Mom Mothra. And Mother Mothra. Now eat somebody. (laughs) No? Not hungry? Because what I like is that you're like, uh, you know, which is your favorite Godzilla movie? He says all of them. I'm like, now ask him who he likes stomping on the most. All of them. What do you like destroying? All of it. Who do you like to eat? All of them. I mean, it's Godzilla. It is 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 like the excess destruction when you're a kid and your parents are telling you, "Don't put that down. Don't play with that. You know, you're gonna break it." Is watching a monster just tear through a city or a giant robot stomp on a city is that just inherently uh, amazing to us as kids? Yes. Like, is yeah. that where it comes from? Do you think? Like, what is the psyche behind loving these giant monsters? Because yes, as a kid, you love everything big, but what is it when you when you really get down to the the aspects of it? I think you know. what? I think we all wish there really were giant monsters. 
Because like we wouldn't last five kid, days on this planet. I know, but you don't think about that. You just think okay. that they're going to be your friends. Because Godzilla ultimately turned out to be a good guy. Not in the first movie, but later on. He even had a son that he's trying to school. Right. You know, he's trying to get Minya to blow nuclear blasts, but he can only do the smoke rings until he gets his, his, his tail stepped on by Godzilla, and then he lets one go. I mean, Godzilla was inherently kind of nice. Right. At the end of the day. And, you, and he defends the world. I mean, to the point where Planet X, they steal Godzilla and Rodan. Mm -hmm. They steal them, and you're like, you can't do that to our planet. You know, suddenly we're, we're with these. We want Godzilla and Rodan back. They have to come back to us. You know, and the people on Planet 10, even though they have those cool chicks with the, the really thin sunglasses yeah. and the cool flying saucers, you still want them, their, their asses kicked. Uh, Tommy, as the, uh, does the same rule apply for giant robots? Like, what do you think is the appeal to giant robots and things like Robotech or Voltron? When we were kids, we just... Or Transformers, which is what it became here in the U.S. You gotta, you gotta credit those for giving us Transformers. What do you think the appeal is there? Well, I, I think the appeal with, even with the really early stuff like the Shogun Warriors, the Mazinger stuff, is you're an exception, not the rule, because most Gaijin parents weren't that cool where they were introducing their kids. It, well, my parents were, didn't know what they were. I know, but they introduced you to something. It could have gotten really bad. Head of everyone else on the mainland. Yeah. And, you know, I was fortunate that every once in a blue moon I would be on a flight, you know, overseas. And, uh, you know, I was, I, I was like that, uh, I was like the smuggler down in Colombia for a while and I had to load up on all the merchandise I could get before I had to smuggle it back to the U.S. And, uh, bad analogy, but I guess it makes sense when you talk about crack and uh, pop culture. But uh, I think what really piqued my interest in that is when I saw the early designs, and they were very crude, you know, whether it was uh, Mazinger or uh, even like the early Macross stuff from the 80s, is there was a lot of attention to detail. They would do breakdowns of how the, the wave motion gun inside the space cruiser Yamato worked, and they had, you know, the layout of the entire ships worked out inside. You knew where everyone from the captain down to the nurse was, and um, you know, sometimes the science in it was completely nonsensical, but as, you know, a 80-year-old kid, you were sucking it all up. Right. And I think the, the young kids really appreciated that attention to detail because a lot of cartoons in the U.S. were talking down to the kids, whereas mm. uh, the, uh, a lot of anime were expecting that the kids could keep up with the content. Like, I think the most unbelievable rewrite, which was... A shame was uh, the first season finale of uh, Science and Ninja Team Gatchaman. Is uh, how many of you are familiar with G Four's Battle of the Planets? Is the plot is that all these kids were selected because they were orphans, and so therefore because they were orphan teenagers, they were expendable. I mean, that's dark. how cruel and that's dark really is that, dark. right? But then some old geezers come and keep bailing them out. And you're, you know, towards the end of the first season, you're wondering why. And then you, uh, at the very final episode, the old geezer reveals to the captain of, you know, G-Force, he says, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you to save your guys' life. And he goes, no, I can't because I'm the leader of the Gatchaman team. He goes, well, I'm going to overrule you because I'm your father. And then instantly in the last episode, he finds out he's not an orphan but his dad just killed himself to save him. Wow. And they wrote it out of the ending of, you know, Battle of the Planets. It's like you cut all the drama out, but, you know, as a little kid, I'm just like, oh, my goodness, this is like 
That's huge. Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. You know, that's like the end of know, Return of the Jedi. Forget about Vader. King Lear. I want to watch yeah. the next season of Gatchaman. Yeah, that's like <laughs> yeah. removing Vader as Luke's father. Yeah, yeah. And, you know? and this, this was this was years before. Uh, so I think. Oh my God. You know how uh, Star Wars borrowed a lot of grand themes. I bet you George Lucas watched a little bit of anime too. Yeah. Well, you 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 bring up a good point. I, I think that one of the great things about like I remember watching Rodan. Rodan is a very scary movie. There's a guy that, mm. that penetrates those the egg chambers where and the the, the pupil pupa stage yeah. is, and mm -hmm. it, it's scary. Now, when I was watching this as a kid, we have this problem I think in the United States where we can't allow children to experience the reality of life. Like we, we the giant monsters exist. Yes. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> but, but like it can't it can't like the, the the just because something's a cartoon, it can't have heavy. Yeah themes, thematic elements to it. And when I was a kid, I watched the original Twilight Zone and Star Trek and, and um, The Outer Limits, and they weren't exactly kid-friendly. But they challenged you. They were challenging. Yeah. And I think that all of the, like, I, I love when Star Blazers came on in, I think, 78 or 79 here. I loved it, but they cut out the scenes where you found out the Yamato was destroyed by American torpedo planes in World War II. And they had that in the original. And when I started getting the laser discs of the original uh, Yamato, I was like, why couldn't we be told that? Yeah. Like, why did they have to change the name of, I thought it was kind of cool that they dug up the biggest battleship that the Japanese had ever made, even though it was sunk, it was resurrected, and that's part of the show, is that the Japanese were able to bring back this legendary ship to save the world. And there's something lost by not having that in the Americanized version of of these things. It's not like we're not going to figure it out now. And how much of that do you think was a culturally biographical story of Japan post, you know, the decades post-World War II and, oh, and saying, this is the most important oh, thing that we can do is, is with the land of the rising sun, we need to resurrect ourselves. And as you said in the translation, it was completely removed. But that's, a, that's, but, that's the crux of the entire series. And it's also the crux of, look, Japan was building the future. Right. The, the, the cutting edge technology, I mean, they were, their super robots were representing the, the, the country rising up again. Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of, kind of cool. I mean, now, you, you know, you look at Akira and, and how Neo Tokyo was this gigantic, sprawling metropolis where truly Japan had succeeded in, well, also bombing itself again right. through the Akira program or whatever, but still. It was there was something really interesting about that, and I I, I didn't like the fact that the new Godzilla movie opened in like the Philippines. Mm -hmm. Like, what's up with the giant monsters being in the Philippines? I mean, why did this thing burrow its way to Japan because Japan had nuclear power? I didn't get that at all. Like, what's up with the opening? And you didn't detect Godzilla? it getting from the like the one th the, giant monsters are Japanese. Right, they just are. <laughs> and if you want to try and take them away, and I mean, there's Reptilicus from Denmark, if you ever saw that horror movie. And that's a bad-looking monster. The Danes don't know how to do kaiju. And does King Kong not work as a giant monster created by Hey, man, the Elsa? Japanese did King Kong pretty well. Twice. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, Amer the thing about, the, the, they, they made a robot King Kong in Japan. Americans wouldn't do that. we just, like, put him on display in New York. Nobody would ever think, what if we made him into a robot? Yeah, yeah. Then, then we don't have him going loose. We can actually program him, and he doesn't climb an right. Empire State Building. But there was something else. I mean, there's something really, again, like with Macross, the idea of a jet fighter transforming into a robot. I mean, come on, what kid doesn't want that? Well, I lost my mind when yeah. I first saw that. That's you lost your mind? I, lost, I mean, I how mean, many I Valkyries have I bought? How many? You know, cheap the, ones, big ones. I, I'd the buy cheap it. ones are almost the best Damn. because you can use them. Yeah. You know, the well, ones that are almost like. Uh, 
like statues, you want to use those in a display and I case. Grew up, I didn't even care about Transformers. All I cared about was Macross and especially Yamato and all that stuff. That was much more interesting to and me. The fact that Ultramans came in a giant collection of Ultramans. So was the first Transformer you bought Jetfire for that one reason? You know, I'll tell you something. I didn't buy Jetfire because I was offended that they repackaged Macross. <laughs> uh, 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 I'm like, what is this? Because, and I hated the Robotech monsters. It felt I like, mean, a, flea, it was like a flea market version? They weren't just oh, stealing from Macross. They were stealing from like Doug Ram and they were stealing uh-huh. from all these other. I'm like, what is this? These are, I was so angry. I'm like, why don't you call Robotech what it really is? And, and um, but then I, I mean, I liked the show. I liked the Americanized version of it. But the, when they tried, took Transformers toys, and they, it wasn't, they were Robotech toys that were really Macross toys, and they were, re- it was again, I'm like, why, what do you think, I'm stupid? I used to take the Macross perfect manual mm-hmm. and like look that stuff up. Oh, it's not in here. Yeah. You know, like I used to have all those. It's not canon. Well, it's not can- nope, nope, nope. I was, I was like his size doing that. Like, no. So no, it's, all, it's almost like the relationship we had as Transformers fans to like GoBots. We were like, that is inferior. <laughs> that is not the real deal. And then they came out with the rock lords, and you're like, just throwing them. Like, perfect, it's a rock. I'll throw it away. So I was a little too old. I was a little yeah. too old for, for Robotech was sort of my cutoff. Yeah. When I, with Transformers, again. I think I'm 10 or so, eight years younger than you guys. Yeah, but. why couldn't they make a Transformers cartoon that was smart? Right. Like, I wanted to see, why couldn't the American people, why couldn't Hasbro, whoever was making these cartoons, make them smart for kids? Why did they have to be so, like, I'm like, so the Autobots are called, they're from Cybertron, but they're called Autobots, like, because they have I guess they got our radar message. Well, I, guess, I guess they I mean, got the radio transmission that was like, oh, they have something called cars. Let's go and live among them. As a, uh, yeah. it doesn't, you, sh- yeah. you should read the pre-production notes from the production staff. Uh, of Transformers? Of Transformers? Yeah, the, tr- the, Transform- the Transformers creative team were actually a bunch of guys borrowed from Marvel. And if you that um, makes sense. if you look at the cartoon, uh, actually a lot of them complain. Yeah, uh, a lot of what they had to write was dictated by, "Hey, we got this coming out in the fall. Can you write around it?" And they're going, like, "What? You know, this show's about to go into production." And they're already and, called Autobots at that point. Uh, well, I'm not sure how the names came about. I think it was they were given uh, parameters by the product development department which was to move toys, because the right. TV show would never make money. It was yeah. the toys that would make money. And they had to write around that. And the G.I. Joe guys had the same issues. And so did the Ninja Turtles guys. Like, they were like, we're no, not ordering. Ep- I heard no. there was no episodes ordered until yeah, yeah. there was a toy contract. And they yeah. had like a month to put them all together. But they had all that creative yeah. in place yeah. first. Yeah. From the but yeah. but they had, they, that one, they got lucky. They had creative in place, because uh, it was, uh, the, I forgot his name, Fred Wolf, uh, the guy who produced sure. the show. He gambled and he produced like the uh, pilot the first few episodes yeah. all, all on his credit cards and whatever just so he could lock down to creative before the business people got that's what George did and Disney gave him a show yeah. <laughs> yeah so sometimes you um, yeah in the Transformers case read the G1 comic books it's the same creative team but right. everything that they couldn't write into the TV is series is that the IDW series not the IDW yeah. the old no. Marvel the old I'm Marvel talking about one, yeah. Marvel when it used wow. to say Marvel comics group at yeah. the top yeah. like the Star Wars comics uh, that's cool much better written than the TV shoots TV show at the time. IDW just reprinted them. IDW yeah. just reprinted them? Yeah. That's awesome. You know, there's also something, there's a sense of wonder and a sense of, of whimsy in all of these movies, I think, that was, you know, that, that we live in a universe that not only are there giant monsters, but there's giant monsters on other planets. Mm-hmm. You know, like like Planet X, you had like Nick Adams, the one American amongst the Japanese crew landing on this, this planet, and they've got a Ghidra problem. You know, Ghidra's 
blasting away at there. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of neat that there's giant monsters on another planet and there's, there's another civilization. And, and it was something as a kid, it was very, um, it, was, it, it fired your imagination. Yeah, it was science you know, fiction the way it should be. It was, it was even though, mm. and, and if you looked, there's a very forbidden planet quality to the way, the Japanese, no one did better laser blasts or electrical. The animation was, anytime anybody unleashed as a kid, I'm like, that was awesome. Like, why can't they do that? Why, why, how come I can't shoot laser beams out of my mouth or fingers like that? Because it was awesome. And, and the, there was massive destruction. You knew as a kid, thousands of people are getting wasted in these cities in these giant monster battles. And you never really saw it. That's why if you ever watch Godzilla, GMK, All That Monsters Attack, have you guys seen mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. It's sort of out of continuity. But there's great shots in this movie where you've got like, the army is, is using their binoculars and they're watching like Mothra's in the back over there. And they're watching Godzilla and Ghidra or whatever from a long way away. And then suddenly you'll see Godzilla's head starts turning and blasting its nuclear fire, even though it's two miles out. The army's like, oh no. And then you see the laser come and, and the nuclear fire blast into the, you see what happens to the guys on the ground. Yeah. And if you want to see a great movie, Godzilla GMK All Out Monsters Attack is one of the great kaiju movies because it's not in continuity and it's just awesome. It's just destruction. Yeah, well it's also, it, it, it changes the continuity around like the, 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 I think it's Mothra and Godzilla and they're like elementals yeah. and, and they're, they're, they're there's it, a whole different. It's sort it's like of a, a different spin on it. Yeah, but, but it's. A, I think it's a spin that's inherent to it that these are nature's protectors, and that is what I did like about the modern uh, Godzilla was enjoying it and saying, okay, he's the protector of the earth. Some of it, yes, doesn't make sense, um, but he's like the dog that barks and like protects the the yard, of the yeah, house. The whole movie you is know? him. I can't. Even, there's kids. I can't. But basically, the whole new Godzilla movie is two hours of waiting for him to keep two people from hooking up. Right. You know, or from him to be like, that's all it is. I, I can't say what I want to say. Well, I kept waiting you know, for Kickass to be like, you know what? Don't wait for me. Uh, just get out of the city. I'm not coming to get you. Like, he's just like the angry ex-boyfriend. Right. <laughs> but, but he's Forrest Gumping like, everywhere he needs to be. Yeah, you know, well, it like, also didn't make any sense. Like, like suddenly the, 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 the Mutos are in Vegas. Yeah. Like they went across. Yeah. Wasn't the others? Isn't there more stuff in China or Korea where there's nuclear power? No. Nah. Why do you have to go to Vegas? They're picky eaters. They're picky eaters. I mean, it, it was weird. none of it made the Godzilla movies make a certain kind of internal sense, but mm -hmm. the new Godzilla movie kind of didn't. They just randomly they're in the Philippines and then suddenly they're Godzilla has burrowed underground and pulls a nuclear plant under. But George, would it a, would it have made more sense if the su original subtitle had held, which was Godzilla goes on vacation? <laughs> then he's just going where he wants to go. Actually, considering he only had like 11 minutes of screen time, I think it should have been called On Godzilla's Trail. Yeah, yeah but the thing is, the, the thing with the Godzilla movie is it, it's very obviously coming from a respectful place. Yes. Right. Like, un, unlike the previous, so you sit there and you sort of go, as somebody, like my thing when we did, you know, having gone through the experience on 009, was, which was anything we did, we had to show the rights holders and make sure that it was cool, you know, is this cool, are you going to stab me if we do this? And it just felt like everything with Godzilla came from a respectful place, a respectful take on the character. But story-wise, it was just, A, it wasn't enough of Godzilla. It, was, it wasn't enough of those things. And there's just some huge logic gaps. And I just literally sat there the whole time going, so all he's doing is stopping these two from mating. Yeah. And that wasn't enough for me. I wanted a message to it that the other movies had and an intelligence to that it's and called godzilla third wheeled but the, I think no, the, the problem is at the end of the movie he's sort of like dead in the city and then he's just like oh what a day 
and just sort of leaves. You didn't let you. And then on the TV screen, it's like King of the Monsters. And yeah. it's like, how do you know that? How is everybody sitting there? Like, he was a good guy after all. He's lying dead in the middle of our city. On top of like a million people. Yeah, like, and they're all sort of like, and he's just like, oh. help, I'm under this he's like, guy. What happened? Help. Where's my coffee? You know, and he's, he's snoring. Like, oh, go. They're also trying to hide Godzilla the whole movie. Like, Godzilla's in the middle of a city. But you can't see him because there's not enough light, you know, and there's yeah. smoke and fog. I want to see Godzilla in the daylight. I want to see Godzilla in the middle of a city stomping things. Like, why are you hiding him? Godzilla like Beach that Party? halo jump. These guys, like, do the halo. That was cool. That was cool. But it's like, they don't see him. Like, you, come, Godzilla's gigantic. The design of Godzilla, you guys love it? Loved it. Yeah, yeah the, the design Godzilla of Godzilla, design. I thought, was well, that's, that's amazing. That's all coming from a respectful place. It's obvious they paid attention to it. Like, it's obvious they... Wanted the intentions are good on that movie. So you're hopeful for the second one. I, 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 hopefully, it's not a commercial to for Skull Island, which will be him and right. King Kong and other monsters. If they if they can go back to the things that worked, yeah. I mean, I it, it depends. It'll like I know I'll see the trailer. Like right now, I can sit and be like, I don't know if I'm going to see it. And then I'll see the trailer, and be like, Oh my god. Um, you guys it. don't know this, but George is a designer and he designs. Creatures for League of Legends, is that right? Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about designing things like Godzilla, and one thing that I love about Pacific Rim is Guillermo del Toro, when you look at these, uh, you know, Gypsy Danger or, or these other uh, giant robots, he's really intricate. And when you hear interviews with him, he's really giddy about, okay, this is how that works, and this is how this would work, and this is how that one works. Um, is that part of this as well as, like you said, when we were describing the battleships? Like, uh, how much of the detail is what gets us into it, and not just the size of these things, but the utility or the hope that they could possibly exist if mankind reaches far enough. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's a big thing, you know, going back to schematics. Um, we're constantly, as, as creators, fighting against suspension of disbelief. So the, the more we can build towards reality, I think the easier it is for us to all kind of collectively, fall, you know, collectively fall into that dream state and go, okay, mm -hmm. I accept this. So when you say like, okay, I can see where the, the stairwell is, and it's like, oh, okay, this is a real thing. So now I care about these people. In Ridley Scott's Alien, I think the first ten minutes is incredible because you just go through uh, the Nostromo, and it's just Ridley Scott being like, this is where they sleep, this is where they go to the bathroom, this is where the engine is. Da, da, da. And oh, by the end of the movie, they're all going to be running for their lives through this stuff. Yeah. And, and that you, was you almost have to orient yourself. Yeah, that, in terms of Alien and a lot of other things that right. we work on, that that was intentional. He built those sets, like they existed. So when you ran through the set, it was it was a real thing, mm -hmm. and that helped the actors and obviously helped the viewers. So when when we do these kind of things or when we build characters or shows, etc., we're always we're always asking those questions. And when you're doing this stuff for like a video game, because mm -hmm. obviously we're really into the movies and we're into the TV shows and the comic books, but uh, in a video game, when basically you're like, reality can almost go that extra distance beyond basis in reality, uh, and you can create almost anything. Uh, what do you guys, where do you get your inspirations and where do you guys get some of that stuff for making League of Legends or anything? Sure, I mean, it, it comes from everywhere and we have a big team of people. And, right. and uh, I think it comes down to passion, like what, what are people passionate about? Do you try and out crazy each other sometimes? Oh, of course, yeah. of course. I mean, we have big brainstorming meetings and you know, some guys like, I like the way this weapon moves, let's talk about that. Or I like, I like the motivation of revenge or whatever it is. So. You, you go from story to game design to art to thematics, and you just try different things out. And if it feels good, both in-game as well as character, then you follow it through. And then you start asking those questions when you start designing things like, could this person actually do this? If they can't, 
how do we get to that point? Is it magic? What's the power source, et cetera? So all those, all those questions are asked because we have to know. Right. When um, you guys are looking at the entire uh, story, you know, uh, all of the stories of Godzilla, if they're all in continuity or canon, when you guys are looking at all the Robotech. Yeah, when, oh, when you're looking at each continuity, do you guys see, like, uh, what are some of the biggest course corrections that either went wrong or were in, maybe saved the series? Was there any time when Godzilla it could have been like, okay, well, that's good on Godzilla. We don't need to make another movie. Were there any times when, like, Robotech was in danger and maybe they were going to throw the dirt on it? And you had this resurgence. And where do those resurgences come from? Did they come from a, a like a specific creator or from a course correction or anything? Did you experience any of that with Robotech? Uh, okay, I guess I, I'm just going to cite historically what's already there. Right. Um, Macross had a tortured uh, production period. It was originally supposed to be a parody of a series of these other series called uh, uh, Battle City Mega Room. It's almost like the, the Ninja Turtles were supposed to be a parody of Daredevil. Yeah, so yeah. this was supposed to be just a the most giant city, uh, city spaceship of all, and it just causes wanton destruction. And that's all it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a very high concept thing. But then uh, nobody was interested, and they kept rewriting it, kept rewriting it. And then the concept of the transforming ship got introduced, and then the transforming smaller robots got introduced, and then the idea of connecting them. Why are they big? Why do they need giant robots? And then the concept of the Zentradi were introduced. And they initially pre-sold 52 episodes to MBS, which is Minichi Broadcasting in, uh, System in uh, Tokyo. And all of a sudden, they got cold feet, and they um, cut their order in half to 26. And the writers of the show were like, holy smokes, and they had to compress their writing mm. of the 52 episodes into 26. And I think that's what made the show so good, because it was so unbelievably dense. You watch the first episode of Macross or Robotech, the booby trap episode, you're like, it's like the kitchen sink got thrown. Right. Things are just getting, it's like three episodes worth of explosions and destructions happening in one. But those are the episodes that even in American television or any television or sequential, sequential storytelling, those are the episodes you love because yeah. it just feels like it's breakneck and it gives you that passion. But here's the thing that they did was because the show was so condensed at the end of the first episode, you're like, whoa, that thing transforms. And then end the second episode, whoa, it's because the enemies are gigantic. And then the end of the third episode, whoa, they're stuck in Pluto. And the episode, you know, after that, whoa, the whole ship transforms. <laughs> and the episode after that, whoa, it can punch a battleship out, you know? And so it was just like escalating. And then what happened was when it aired in Japan, they had a runaway hit in Japan. And then the, uh, the network said, oh, we kind of blew it by cutting our uh, order in half. Can, how many more episodes can you get done before the year is up? The and year. the show was already in production. And they were like, what? You know, because <laughs> they had already compressed their story. They, could like, they keep that pace? No, the, yeah. I mean, the, the, it got to the point where um, one of their, uh, the, the guy who, who was bicycle riding the film prints right. to the broadcaster, they were getting it done at such the last minute. The bicyclist was arriving at the station 20 minutes before it aired. Uh, what I mean narr is narratively, could they keep that pace? Narrative, where they're compacting oh, no. all their Narr stories yeah, into one or two episodes, like the could they, they write, get drawn yeah, out? Yeah, just write 26 more episodes, right? And they were kind of thin or something like that? And or, uh, no. they were like, no, because you know, they, they were going to blow up the whole world in episode 26. That's awesome. You know, anybody remember Force of Arms? And mm -hmm. so what they did was they stuck in a filler episode. That became episode 27. And they squeezed in nine more episodes 
that was the most they could do. They couldn't do the full 52, and that's where we ended up with 36 Macross episodes. Wow. And that's why the tone of the nine episodes that were tacked on at the end feels so different than the first. It's almost like an epilogue. Yeah, it's like an epilogue, yeah. Wow. So anyway, that's kind of like an example of all the weird twists and turns that go on during production. What were some of the darker ones? Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, has anyone seen the new uh, Yamato 2199? Yeah. The new? It's incredible. Yes, it I is. mean, it's basically, it's Star Blazers. It's the original Iskandar, Queen Starsha storyline retold with modern designs, modern mecha designs. I mean, they've updated everything. It's still the Yamato. It's still the same characters, but the level of sophistication of the storyline, <laughs> I can't recommend it highly enough. I mean, I've loved it. And I would highly recommend watching it in its original subtitle Japanese. Is it out here? They're on Blu-ray. Um, I bought the Blu-rays from Amazon mm -hmm. Japan. Japan. But you can, <laughs> they're putting out, and by the way, they are, if you buy the Japanese Blu-rays, they're expensive, but they are subtitled in English. And the English subs are actually very, very, very good. Oh, wow. um, but it's, it's tremendous. But they, they, they retold, they took the whole story. They just retold the whole story. But they retold it with a level of sophistication they gave the Gamelon's personality. There's a whole hierarchy that you meet of, of the Gamelon culture, and uh, it's great. I mean, it's it's really really well done. And if you, if anybody likes, just if you like science fiction and space opera, the new Yamato is it's very sophisticated. It was done for adults. It's really really good. But kids will watch it. But yeah, kids will watch it. <laughs> but if they, but if it's if it's it's subtitled in Japanese, right. it might be a little tough. Uh, what were some of the dark dark parts? Like whenever you look at Godzilla, if you were to tell anybody here who maybe isn't as versed as you guys uh, to go pick up a their first uh, Robotech or their first Godzilla story, uh, where would you start them and where would you tell them to skip? That's for everybody on the panel. Like what parts would you be like? Oh, you don't have to watch season three. You know how you do that with television. Uh, where would you start, like Robert? Where would you? What was your well? The original Godzilla. Right. The original Godzilla movie is a very serious Godzilla film, and if you if you think about it, it was made. A decade after Japan had suffered the only nuclear attack any country has suffered ever, and it's really a response to what happened to that country. And um, I think it's a great movie. It's 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 scary. It's dark. Um, it's a really interesting cultural artifact. Um, it's very different from the Godzilla you think of now, but it's much more along the lines of the tone of the American Godzilla. And Rodan's close to that, too. Rodan's, I love Rodan. Mm -hmm. Rodan was in color. Yeah, so where you guys are poking where you shouldn't be. You know, it's almost like the encroachment on nature themes that you see in so many of those movies, and in the Miyazaki stuff. Absolutely. I mean, then there's there goofier, but if you go look at things like Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, I love Godzilla vs. Monster Zero because it tickles my sci-fi fancy, but then there's other movies that are just... There's this guy on YouTube, if you're at all interested in Godzilla, he did these like five minute reviews of every single Godzilla movie. Wow. And he did them like in 2007 and, and he, uh, uh, the Godzilla Monster Thon. And I don't, Cinemania, I think it's like Cinemania Presents. And Cinemassacre, that's it. Is he in the room? Is he in the room? Everybody knew it. Whoever that guy is, that Cinemassacre guy, it's that guy. That guy, his, his reviews, not only are they great, but they're also very accurate. Because he talks about which Godzilla movies have um, a lot of stock footage in them. Because mm. we want to see new Godzilla battles. You know, you want to see new monsters and you want to see... You know, I watched Godzilla Destroy All Monsters the other day because I got the new Blu-ray. Eh, doesn't hold up as much. No. Right. Whereas Godzilla vs. Monster Zero does. 
What about something like Gamera? Like that was one of my first entries into it. Was mm-hmm. oh, it's a flying turtle that spins and has you know and loves kids. And I was like, that's cute. Uh, and, and, and 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 you watch it, but that stuff like that doesn't hold up because it's just, just it's a little silly. And it's almost MST3K type stuff. The new Gamera's were pretty good. The new Gamera's were? Some, the, not the new, new ones, but the ones that were done like 10 years ago. We've got to bring that to the States. And so it be like, hey, if you guys liked Godzilla, this turtle spins but and hangs with I kids. That's a problem. I think there's an inherent problem in the American psyche. Right. In that we are, are unable, our imagination, especially as we become adults in this country, we are unable to watch a Gamera movie. That I, right. I really think that most people would be like, they'd tune out. That's why... I think the idea of doing an American Star Blazers, putting a battleship, if they do, if Chris McQuarrie actually makes an American Star Blazers movie, Ooh. I don't think it's going to be the Arizona. I don't think it's going to be a battleship that they turn into a spaceship because I don't think that we, if you look at Masamoto Leje's work and the Galaxy Express 999 or you look at My Youth in Arcadia, putting a train in outer space is, is, is something that I think that the Japanese have such a, there's a whimsy there that we don't. They can possess. only do that. They can only. And do I don't think. Yeah, I don't think that we get it. I mean, I don't think that Americans. That's why Pacific Rim didn't do as well in this country as it did in the rest of the world. Right. Because I don't. Like it didn't do well it, in Japan. What's that? It, it didn't it, do but well it didn't do well in Japan. China, it was huge. It did yeah, huge it, in China. It was huge. But I think that that there was something about it. Like when I saw, when I, I felt like I was 12 years old when I saw. I saw it at a special screening four he months He lost his mind on Twitter, I, and I was just like, don't get my hopes up. But you I still see, lost your mind. No, and I, and I, that's the thing. I, so I went to see it, but he, he saw it like three months before it came out. And I saw him and our other friend, Derek, uh, they went to the screening. And I just, oh, it's so great. I was 12 years old again, and I was like, shit, don't get my hopes up for this thing. Don't get my hopes And I went to see it, uh, and um, has everybody seen it? Everybody's seen, Everybody's it. seen Pacific Rim, right? All right. So the, um, you go through the whole opening scene. And, he, and he's on the beach at the end of the thing, and the projector breaks. Oh! Right? Oh. And it goes, oh! But I'm thinking, but the sound stays on, right? So, like, the, and I thought, what's he doing? You know, like, like an idiot. Like, it is the, a trick. Yeah, and then it, then it comes in, and they go, we're going to offer refunds. I mean, we're going to start the movie again, right? We don't know. So you're sitting there going for, like, 25 minutes, like, uh-oh. You know, like, and I'm like an idiot now. Like, because I had to be somewhere after it's like a weekday and I like had to see it. And then they started, and I got to watch it, the opening again. And I was like, again, like, you know, like, 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 cool. Like, sort of like this was worth it that I got to see the opening again. Because when it comes out of the fog on the beach, yeah, yeah. And then then he goes like this, and it went black. It's so well done. And I went, yeah. But I like the portion after that where they're walking through the, the, they're introducing all the different robots. You see them climbing it in like Mm -hmm. escalators and like elevators and stuff. And I'm like, this is a, this is the best anime that's been made into live action ever. And that's what people didn't get. I also think uh, we talked about this last year because it was it was pretty fresh in our heads. It's it's also the worst marketed new franchise I think I've ever seen. Well, John Carter called and he said, not true. (laughs) Don't get him started on this. I'm right. Oh. I'm right. That's a different panel. Well, That's called Loin Kloss and Friends. No, later we on. had a humongous fight on Twitter about well, this. Well, uh, that's part of the reason why uh, Legendary took the sequel to Universal. Yeah, Legendary took the sequel to Universal because of the Warner Brothers. Because they, they, it was. You know, I I think I won't comment anything, okay. but I think it was just their opinion that that would be a better home for the sequel. Well, I hope they, you know, I know they're going to make some. And then they can match it up with Kong, and we can have them. It wouldn't shock me. But there's a lot of people Please. that in America. A lot of my friends 
who did not like Pacific Rim. Yeah, I have people a lot of talked about how it, oh, it sucked. Well, is, is it too many people? Because like the the part I thought Pacific Rim got slow was the middle section where you get exploring the the, the relationship, which isn't really a relationship. And but then, that's right out of but, it. That's yeah, right yeah. Out of her relationship with Idris Elba. No, I, I got the it. It's, it's good stuff. Movie but I just want to see monsters girl. punching each other. The little girl is the best actor in the whole yeah. movie. And that scene where she's crying, like I, I'm absolutely convinced Del Toro like faked that kid into thinking like something or poked was really her with a happening. stick. Like, what if he like, like, like we're gonna, you know like a gun to the? He's like I'm gonna put these. Like that. Like, I'm going to like, put tacks in I'm your shoes. In that. Like, he's like putting tacks yeah, she, in her shoes. And she's like ah, and like I'm, I'm like I, when I saw it like the eighth time, and my wife had seen it for the first time. The she, was, time. She, was, she was like clutching my arm for this little kid, and I I, I I don't understand. I get what you're saying. A lot of people I know don't like it, and I think they'll tweak this but I think it's so well directed when you put it in comparison to like the action in that movie is so well directed where you see every punch I just remember in that first action scene I was like I was expecting the regular sort of Transformers choppy action thing and, and, and it's just these yeah. long takes of you know the fist you know the mechanical fist hitting the kaiju and all that and I just was just oh my god well there was in the battle of Hong Kong when that kaiju's wings unfurl oh. I, I, that's exactly what I, I, I did. I literally jumped back in my chair, and I was like, "Yes!" <laughs> I mean, I, I was like, I, I, I couldn't. And Derek was like, "We there was four of us, and we, there was four guys and a girl." And this girl, Shauna, she's a writer's assistant, and she's very. She was looking at four boys, <laughs> all in their forties or thirties, lose their minds. Yeah. Like, and unless I think that the people that didn't have that connection, you had to buy into that world. You know, to see those giant monsters, the only thing wrong with Pacific Rim is the Chinese team did not get to have a kick-ass battle yeah. first, yeah. where you got to see them use their, their, that was the only thing wrong with that movie. You need to see those guys kick-ass because they were awesome. They were three brothers. They were like, playing they basketball. They play basketball. They can yeah, rip the thing's head off and spin it. I wanted to see them it. do that to a kaiju. I wanted to yeah. see them whoop ass those, and you, that was the only thing What wrong. about the sword thing? Like, the, when it comes out of, oh, kind of you're like, where the heck the sword come right. from? Like, couldn't you use that earlier before people That's what talking? everybody says. Everybody yeah. says, why didn't you use the sword? Both yeah. Before? Because they have a routine. They have to go through. It's like, <laughs> it's like a checklist, you know? It's, it's, it's a strategy. It's a battle strategy, yeah. you know? You, um, see, we're trained in that mindset. Though, uh, so they'd be like, yeah, Tommy and George, what would you guys subscribe, uh, like, prescribe to the audience if they wanted to get into something like this? So where would you start, George? Well, you know, since you guys kind of hit Godzilla, I would hit... Uh, you know the giant robots, and for me, it was the first episode of Robotech you know, yeah. because that's what I saw, uh, and that's what inspired me to make my show. And that's you know just the love, just having a young boy thrown into a giant robot and not knowing what to do, like, and and that's also wish fulfillment for for many children. Like, you would love to have that power, but you immediately realize that what you can destroy with that both good and bad it's like driving a car yeah it's, it's yeah. well it's much more like it, yeah. it, it plugs into like your your you know fantasies of you know knights and dragons and all of that so that first episode i think just watch that episode if you haven't i'm sure everyone here has but that's something that i would hold up as like you know seminal in in my creative progression and i think probably our whole generation where would you start uh when Racer X revealed to Speed Racer he was his brother and knocked his lights out. Yeah. <laughs> that was a huge moment in Speed that, Racer. That was, yeah. I think that was one of those great dramatic moments where I'm glad they left it in. And then, uh, you know, I remember reading in TV Guide that was like considered one of the great reveals of TV, you know, next mm. to the Newhart finale. But, um, oh, actually, I wanted to add one more thing uh, before we got too far, which was one of the things I think is missing in American enjoyment of 
giant robot and giant monster, those films, which is a barrier for Americans, is when we see giant monsters destroying things, we just go, okay, random Asian cityscape. But if these were produced in Los Angeles, you'd go, ha, ah, he's breaking up the Hollywood sign. Ah, yeah. He's kicking down the Capitol Records building. And I think that's one part of the experience that we have that we're missing. That's a gap because we don't re recognize the skyline of Tokyo from the 60s. Mm. Right. Well, you know, there's something interesting, and this is kind of a theory. In Man of Steel, the last Superman movie, everybody gets all mad about Superman. Well, half of Metropolis is being destroyed. I've heard more more friends of mine talk about how that Superman would never let that happen. And when I was watching that movie, I'm thinking to myself, okay, he's been Superman for like a week. Yeah, it's you know, his he, second he, fight. He's dealing with an extinction level event. He's already been on the other side of the world and taken out the world destroyer that's been in India. And he's fighting a guy that's stronger than he is, faster than he is. The last thing that Superman is thinking about is, oh my God, all these poor people that are dying. All he's thinking about is, I have to kill this guy or we're all going to die. Right. And there was, something, there was something about the level of destruction in that movie. I didn't have a problem with it. I was like, this is an extinction level event. Humanity is on, th this is it. Yeah. If, if Superman loses, we're all going to die. And yet people are criticizing him because, well, oh, what about those poor people in Metropolis? That was about the last thing Superman was thinking at Which time. is what I love about the Godzilla being a protector of, of the world, is, is this idea that at least we have him on our side. Right. And he is your favorite dog. You know, like, like he's just, a, it's just cool. Um, so guys, we are super optimistic about new, more Pacific Rim. We are super optimistic about, uh, I'm really optimistic about the next Godzilla movies. Hopefully there's some course correction on the scripts. Um, but where can we find you guys? Where can we get more of your geek knowledge and this stuff? Tommy, where can people uh, follow you or maybe subscribe to you on Instagram or Twitter? Uh, I, I, I guess uh, uh, facebook.com slash Robotech. If you want, if you're into the Robotech stuff, which you should be, yep. uh, George, where can we keep up with you? I know you're on Twitter. Yeah, I'm just on Twitter, George Christick. Christick. Yep. Good luck spelling that. <laughs> just kidding. It's K R S T. I see. I oh, see. Got it. You got oh, it. Right on. that's close. I was well just done. afraid. Uh, F J. The Twitter also at F J Desanto. And you guys can see like the the, the Twitter gasms that he has whenever we he sees something it. like it. <laughs> I we, found we, the jacket. Jonathan sold it to me for only two thousand dollars. Robert, where can we find you I'm, besides next I'm door on right Twitter afterwards? Twitter too. Burnett R M or on Facebook uh, Robert Meyer Burnett. But Twitter, I, I get into it with everybody on Twitter. Yeah, so. yes, he does. And Robert's yeah. about to uh, host a Star Trek acts in our panel right next door, which is a great Star Trek. It's uh, awesome. Series that they're starting awesome. up from the ground up and. I think it's incredible. It's pretty. If you guys want to watch it, Prelude to Axanar on YouTube. It's 21 minutes long. It's pretty awesome. I'm at Jonathan London on Twitter, and Geekscape.net is where we hang our hats and we do our podcast. We'll put up this panel on the uh, Geekscape.net podcast. So subscribe, and uh, we'll see you guys at the con. Booth 1110. Thanks for coming. <laughs>